Three, two, one, and we're live. Welcome to another episode of Hot Coffee Consulting, uh, The Roundup, where myself and Matt Taylor uh, will be taking you through all of the latest news, articles, uh, press releases around data and uh, technology and giving a roundup uh, with respect to our analysis of uh, the hot topics in the industry. Uh, today, we've got three or four topics that we want to talk about. Uh, so we're going to start with a story around S4 Capital, uh, the Martin Sorrell agency that is looking to invest in first party data assets. Then we're going to go on to talk about uh, the Addis business and uh, the deprecation of Addis uh, by the Oracle Data Cloud in Europe. We're going to then talk about uh, location data, which seems to be a very hot topic in the industry uh, right now. And finally, we're going to end with a story on Google and uh, the change that they're making to their auction mechanisms, changing from a second price auction-based system to a first price auction-based system. But before uh, we begin with that, introduce my uh, my co-host, uh, Matt Taylor. Welcome, Matt. Good to be here, Miles. Thanks. So let's kick off. Uh, let's talk about uh, S4 Capital. Uh, so this is Martin Sorrell's uh, new agency um, group, uh, and they are looking to make investments into uh, the first-party data ecosystem. So article in Ad Exchanger published March 19th, S4 Capital on the hunt for a first-party data company. Uh, Martin Sorrell says, we would like to lay our hands on sources of first-party data, but it's not easy. Uh, there are some, uh, but valuations are high. Uh, and I think, you know, this, uh, generally speaking, follows a, a trend uh, by uh, media agencies to get more invested into the data ecosystem. We saw that with uh, IPG's acquisition of uh, Axiom. We saw it with the uh, Dentsu Aegis acquisition of Merkle. And it seems uh, that Martin Sorel is uh, following on uh, that trend. Any thoughts on that, Matt? Yeah, I think there's a clear narrative there that um, you know, agencies are looking for more robust data um, and looking to be more transparent with their clients. And in the wake of all of the press at the moment about you know, businesses um, struggling with uh, providing that level of transparency with third party, it means that Martin Sorrell has that um, view that he can go out to market, push that with clients and, and win their business. I mean, it certainly seems to be that agencies have identified data as being one of the key strategic assets uh, and differentiators. What's interesting is that a lot of the different groups and, and key agency players have quite different approaches. So uh, I mentioned IPG and Dentsu Aegis uh, that seem to be acquisition-based uh, approaches to data. You've got WPP, a lot of their capability being proprietary or acquired as well. So KBMG group, iBehavior, Turbine and Platform. Uh, and then you've obviously got Omnicom Media Group uh, with the uh, development and delivery of Omni, which is mostly a partner-based approach to the data ecosystem. So different models. Uh, it'll be interesting to see which of those models has uh, most success in the future. Okay. I think just to add also, he goes on to mention about how they're looking to go back to how media was in the 90s, which is quite a good good thing or an interesting point that he talks about where they're looking to combine creative and media buying together so as opposed to this diluted mix of going to the creative agency then to the media agency and and having all these different fees in place he's looking to negate that and it comes back to having a clear differentiation with data and the overall strategy there to win to win clients yeah absolutely 
Okay, moving on then. Great, so let's go on to our next article here. Um, article in Ad Exchanger, written on uh, Monday, about Oracle Data Cloud killing off its Addis audience business in Europe. So, um, key, key topic for this, oh, sorry, the key point is that they've completely sidelined that part of the business in the wake of GDPR. The key thing is anyone who's gathering legitimate interest data without consent means that it's a, it's a murky world, essentially, it's saying here. For Oracle, um, it's saying that based on the acquisition of Moat and Grapeshot, there's other focuses in the business, such as contextual targeting, which seems to be growing hugely. Um, and if we look at a key quote here from Eric Rosa, who's the GM, he says that, let's get to the point. He says, in Europe, we took a much more conservative position than others, partly because Oracle needs to be more conservative. We've got a 180 billion market cap, and we're not going to be the poster children for this. So I think it's really interesting um, you know, just to say that they're shelving that, but it, I think by any means, it doesn't mean that Oracle are going to be declining as a business. They're just focusing elsewhere. What are your thoughts on that, Mark? Uh, well, obviously, when he says we're not going to be the poster children for this, the this that he's talking about is the general data uh, protection regulation. Oracle's in an interesting position. Uh, as you mentioned, $180 billion uh, market cap. Um, a very small proportion of the revenue uh, that Oracle drives as a business comes, uh, I mean, first and foremost, through Europe, uh, secondly, through Abdis uh, as a data exchange. And so I think this is just a case of good business sense. Uh, there's a lot of risk. Uh, there's very little potential reward for continuing with the Abdis business. Um, I do think that there are some quite deterministic, uh, quite defeatist opinions in that article around the third-party data ecosystem in general. And I think that, you know, causality is uh, something that we need to take into account when we look at this. So you mentioned uh, the acquisition of Grapeshot and of Moat and Oracle have diversified their position, preempting the incoming uh, regulation. Yeah. Um, making it a lot easier for them to divest certain assets uh, that they may have. Uh, and I think that I think this, this is less a case of uh, Abdis not complying with the general data protection regulation or not being able to uh, be restructured in a way that it can comply mm. with the general data protection regulation. I think it's actually more a case that Oracle have not deemed necessary, not deemed it worthwhile an exercise uh, to restructure the relationships that they have with publishers uh, and ensure that they have consented uh, data. That isn't something that is necessarily replicated across other data exchange businesses. We've seen dozens of data exchanges, third-party data exchanges that do believe it's worthwhile to restructure uh, their contractual relationships with uh, their publishers and their supply partners. We've seen uh, a restructuring uh, and rebalancing towards uh, consent as the main legal basis uh, for processing. Uh, and so I think that it's probably good business from Oracle's perspective. I think that clearly um, having had this deprecated uh, and not available in the market is uh, a net negative. Uh, and I think that generally speaking, there seems to be a glibness in the article and around the commentary 
surrounding the article around the demise of another third-party data provider on the basis of the general data protection regulation. And I think that's probably unwarranted. Uh, and I think that, generally speaking, what we want to have is clearly bad actors uh, identified and um, brought to task, uh, brought to uh, some sense of, of, of justice. But what we also want clearly is more opportunity, more competition, better prices and better quality. And I'm not necessarily sure that when businesses that simply deem it to not be a worthwhile exercise to adhere to the general data protection regulation pull out of the market, that that is uh, going to be uh, the ultimate end game. Yeah, it, it can easily be viewed as doom and gloom for businesses like Oracle, but the reality is it's just a shift in their business strategy um, and they're just negating any risk possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So moving on then uh, to an article that was published in Ad Exchanger March 13th, uh, I think in uh, their, uh, their column piece, Data Driven Thinker, um, the economics of inaccurate location data. This was written by uh, Mark Slade, CEO at Location Sciences. Uh, this is uh, following on from uh, a trend that we've seen over the past few weeks uh, of uh, people across the industry commenting on uh, the inaccuracies and the fraudulent activity within location uh, data services. And when, what, what it basically says is that we have an ecosystem that is inherently uh, incentivized towards the provision of location uh, data within bid requests uh, and within other auction uh, mechanisms uh, without having really necessarily the supply uh, of that location data and that leads to um, fraudulent practices where publishers for instance claim to have quite accurate location data but actually uh, in reality don't. Um, there was an article that was published uh, a few weeks ago in Digiday that was uh, very similar. It was talking about the way in which uh, the location data ecosystem is, is built principally on uh, data signals, location data signals that may not be accurate or may uh, in fact be uh, fraudulent. Uh, I think it referred to the location data ecosystems as a Ponzi scheme. I spoke to uh, Amy Fox from Bliss um, a couple of weeks ago on the Hot Coffee Consulting uh, podcast, uh, and we spoke about how location data is sourced and how location data vendors uh, go through a process of quality control uh, and verification on uh, the location data uh, sets that they process, uh, things like pattern analysis uh, and algorithmically uh, derived uh, verification controls. Uh, so it's really interesting. I think clearly a spotlight is being shone on the location data ecosystem, probably for uh, the better. Uh, and I think that what has been taken for granted for a long time, which is that we can all get access to quite um, specific location data signals and we can use those either in our insights uh, generation or in our targeting practices is now, I think, being questioned uh, and probably, to your point on transparency, uh, that's a good thing. Any thoughts on that? Definitely. Yeah, I think transparency, again, it's one of these buzzwords at the moment coming up a lot. Um, and I think location data is fantastic. And, you know, to say that you can target somebody in and around a certain you know shop, restaurant, whatever it may be, um, in real time, uh, to promote the latest offer or to, to kind of drive that footfall. It's fantastic. I think where it's 
can be tricky is actually driving enough scale to actually make an impact on that business. So in reality, how many people are actually going to be around that you know, location in any given time? So what would be great is if you could potentially combine those signals and actually look at doing some kind of data modeling or you know, building a, a more robust profile of users at that time. So that's, that could be potentially where I think it's got some real traction there, rather than, oh, we can target 20 people at any given time and drive quickly. I agree, and I think that what is interesting about that is that dependent upon the use cases that you want to deliver, uh, the sources, the collection, the segmentation techniques, the verification techniques may be slightly different with respect to how you actually uh, derive the location signals. And so uh, I think that as opposed to looking at these things as completely separate, isolated um, tasks uh, to be completed, you can look at them as an end-to-end -end process, knowing the result that you'd like to ultimately achieve, the output, the end game, uh, and reverse engineering then the segmentation processes, the verification processes, and ultimately the data collection sources. Yeah, completely agree. So, on to our last article. Yes. So I think this came out about a week or probably two ago now, but uh, you know, it just goes to, to back up how Google are always looking for ways to innovate and uh, kind of drive uh, more um, headway in terms of their dominance in market. Um, so this was published on 6th of March um, in Ad Exchanger, um, simply titled Google Switches to First Price Auction. So they're moving to a first price auction uh, for their Google Ad Manager product, um, by the end of 2019, which means essentially that all second price auctions are going to be sidelined. Uh, and this is how people will be able to buy impressions through ad manager moving forward. And there seems to be a lot of um, great press for Google recently, especially with the rebranding of all products last year. So obviously the, the likes of DSP, DBM now being called DB360. Um, Ad Manager is the name of the overall product, which obviously combines the publisher exchange ad server as well. Um, I think there was potentially other competitors who have moved to this model already. Mm -hmm. But I think the key thing is as soon as Google moves to this, um, it becomes, I would say, the, the key thing that everyone's talking about out there. Um, have you got any thoughts on what impact this is going to have, Mars? Yeah, I mean, look, if Google uh, introduces uh, first-price auctions, then it becomes the de facto default for the industry. Uh, you're right, there were other exchanges that had uh, tested or rolled out uh, first-price auction mechanisms as early as uh, 2017. So, you know, I think this is one that Google's perhaps been a little slow in adopting. I have to put on my economics hat for a second when talking about this because I think you know we get wrapped up in uh, some of the terminology without necessarily understanding uh, what it means so just to very briefly talk about some of the theory behind this and then maybe how the theory contradicts with what we've actually seen in practice there is a reason that the vast majority of systems in uh, auction uh, mechanics began life as second price uh, models and the reason for that is that there is uh, you know, almost 100 years of economic theory that dictates that a second price auction mechanism is actually the best uh, auction mechanism to derive uh, an economically sound and fair result. And that's what auctions are really all about. It's, it's a mechanism to ensure that resources, in this case, specifically impressions, are allocated fairly. And what do we mean by fairly? We mean that they're allocated to the individuals that value uh, those impressions the most. 
So in a second price auction, you're encouraged essentially to bid your true value. And you're encouraged to bid your true value because you'll only pay marginally higher than the next highest bidder. And you're somewhat protected uh, from what we call in economics and in auction theory, the winner's curse. The winner's curse effectively states that if you've won the auction uh, because you've bid the highest, then you inevitably have valued the asset, in this case, the impression, uh, more than anybody else. And specifically, uh, and importantly, more than the average. And, and so you are therefore cursed as the winner um, in a sense because you've overvalued the product uh, or the asset that you're looking to uh, looking to acquire. So the second price auction mechanism, because you only pay marginally higher than the than the second highest bidder, protects you from from the winner's curse, and in that sense, gives you a greater incentive to bid your true value. And it's deemed to be the most effective auction model because people, given the fact that they bid their true value, are able to win. Uh, or, or lose a bid on the basis of their true value. The true value, if it's the highest value, will ultimately win the auction and they're allocated the impression. So that's why it's considered to be the fairest and the most economically viable uh, auction model. Now, where does that and how does that differ from a first price auction model? Well, in a first price auction model, you pay what you bid. Uh, and so if you bid $7 uh, cost per thousand uh, for uh, a thousand impressions for impression, um, then you will pay that value. Uh, there's no um, arbitrage, there's no manipulation of uh, the bid price past that point. And so you're more exposed to that winner's curse. So if I bid $10 uh, for an impression, uh, I'll pay $10 for the impression. It may have been that the next highest bidder was only willing to pay $3 for that impression. And I've overvalued that impression essentially by seven dollars uh, and i'm not a privy to that information uh, and nor am i able to alter uh, post the auction uh, the price that i pay and so in that case you are more exposed to the winner's curse and the theory goes that because you're exposed to that winner's curse you'll ultimately attempt to mitigate against that yourself by devaluing or discounting your bid prior to the point of the auction. So I'm willing to pay $10 cost per thousand, but actually because I'm a little bit concerned that I may be overvaluing, I'm gonna pay or I'm gonna bid seven or eight dollars cost per thousand. Now that can lead to situations where um, A, bidders aren't bidding their true value, they're trying to discount their true value, uh, but more importantly, it leads to situations where uh, people that have a higher true value uh, true valuation of the asset or the impression in this case don't actually win the auction because they've discounted uh, to a greater extent than maybe somebody else. So that's the theory behind it. It's the theory as to why second price auction mechanisms have led the way. Um, but I think Google's right actually to introduce the first price auction system. Agree. And I think they're right for a couple of reasons. Uh, and reading through the article, what I'm really seeing and what's going to be very interesting is that I actually don't think it's the second price auction mechanism that's failed. Um, what I think is it's a manipulation of the auction mechanisms that have uh, subverted what is uh, you know, an economically sound uh, concept. And so when you read through the article, what you see is, well, you know, it's because we've got waterfalls and we've got sequential auctions yep. that aren't unified and that aren't happening at the same time, which means that people will be, uh, you know, 
at some point missing out on opportunities because they can't see the full waterfall and they don't know exactly how the impression first through the waterfall. Yeah. You've also got Google's look back, which has been deprecated as well as part of the unification of the auction uh, system, which meant that Google had an ability to uh, look back over what had been bid and what had been offered uh, and make a, an executive decision almost at that point to bid just a cent higher uh, than what had been put out in the market. That, I think, uh, was a really too strong in saying it was a fraudulent system, but uh, that was not an economically efficient system. And so what I'm seeing mostly is that the first price auction methodology and mechanism solves for problems and issues that didn't arise necessarily because of the second price auction mechanism, but arose because it was manipulated by other players in the ecosystem. Definitely. And I think as well, looking at the bigger picture as well, it puts Google in a really strong position. And it is a smart move because, you know, there's still a there's still a thing to be said about publishers' yield being squeezed more and more and more. Um, and Google still have a stronghold with stronghold with the ad server. So in all in terms of Google doing this, publishers can say, well, this is a great move because it means we're going to get more value for our inventory. Um, it also means that advertisers who are buying media um, are saying that actually they're going to be getting more transparency into what they're buying. So all around, very smart move. And I think I think in the long run, um, you know, Google are always going to be at the, the leading the charge for this kind of innovation and um, shouting around more than others. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think as an economic purist, You'd like to see the uh, Vickery system, the second price uh, auction system continue. But I think as a realist, looking at the complex world in which we've built ourselves yeah. and in which we now currently reside, the first price auction system makes a lot more sense. Definitely. Okay, well, thank you uh, very much, everybody, for joining this session of The Roundup. We'll be back in a couple of weeks' time to uh, provide our analysis and our assessment on the next round of news articles and uh, press releases. Thank you. Thanks.